0: Well, today we come to part three of five-part study or series in uh, the confrontation between David and Goliath. So we got two more weeks after this. So I trust that you'll, you'll be here for the next two weeks to hear how this comes out. Of course, you really know how it comes out. You know, the, the, uh, the underdog wins, doesn't he? But if you would, please take your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning at verse 24. And we're going to read on through verse 40. So we've got a lot of verses to look at today. 1 Samuel 17, 24 through 40. When all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. The men of Israel said, have you seen this man who is coming up? Surely he is coming up to defy Israel. And it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? The people answered him in accord with his words, saying, Thus it will be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the man, and Eliab's anger burned against David and said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart, for you have come down in order to see the battle. But David said, What have I done now? Was it not just a question? Then he turned away from him to another and said the same thing, and the people answered him the same thing as before. When the words which David spoke were heard, they told told them to Saul, and he sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Then Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, while he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or bear came and took a lamb from the flock. I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the pall of the lion and from the pall of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his garments and put a bronze helmet on his head, and he clothed him with armor. David girded his sword over his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. So David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. And David took them off. He took his stick in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, and he put them in a shepherd's bag, and he had even his which he had even in his pouch, and his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Let's pray. Father, we pray today, Lord, that uh, we would have the courage of David sometimes, Lord, we need to approach our enemy. And, Lord, we need to guard what you have given us. Lord, we need to guard the sheep of your kingdom. Lord, we need to guard your church. Father, we need to guard your church from, from, str- from strange doctrine, from strange fire that's not of the Holy Spirit, Lord. Uh, Lord from hearing strange voices that not the voice that calls the sheep. Father, may, may we stand against these devices that Satan might send our way, Lord. And Father, may we stay steadfast to your word. May we hold the truth in our hearts and, be, and let it be settled in our hearts that your word stands forever. We ask it in Christ's name, Amen. So Saul is now looking for for just one man who would dare accept the challenge of this Philistine giant named Goliath. So then coming to the army of Israel is this young David, a shepherd of sheep, who upon hearing the giant's challenge has determined himself that his challenge, most of all, was not so much dishonoring to Israel as much as it was dishonoring to God. So he takes a stand against what Goliath says concerning who God is. In verse 26, David asks, What will be done? Listen, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? So David asks this question, folks, not because he's eager to be rewarded, but rather in some way that someone will get the message back to King Saul that there is a person out there who is willing to accept the challenge of this Philistine giant, Goliath. An opponent to Goliath has been found. But still the question remains, why didn't David just simply go to Saul in the first place? Why was he talking to other people? What was his motivation? And why, why not just go straight to the, straight to the horse's mouth? In the first place, if he went to Saul directly, he would violate one of his own rules of life. And that rule of life was that every person deserves respect and humility. Listen to this from Proverbs 15 and verse 6 the writer of Proverbs, who is, by the way, the writer of Proverbs is Solomon. And Solomon says, do not claim honor, do not claim honor in the presence of a king, and do not stand in the place of great men. You know, what, what David's rule was is that, that he approached people, even the king, you approach the king with respect and dignity. And these words coming from Solomon, and by the way, Solomon is the son of David and served and served as king after David served as king. And it almost brings us to think that this rule of conduct that Solomon writes about was something that David lived with all of his life. That when you approach people, you approach them with, with dignity and respect. That's true for everybody, but especially for a person who is a a great person like King Saul would be. Do you suppose David may have thought to himself that this challenge to Israel's army was given by someone who stood outside the God's covenant? Of course it, Goliath stood outside of God's covenant. There is a person outside, listen, outside of, the, outside of the commonwealth of Israel, outside of the covenant of God, who challenges Israel, who challenges Israel's God, because this person thinks that they are bigger than God, that they are greater than Israel's army. And do you suppose that David considered this challenge to be not only a challenge to the army, But more so a challenge to the God of Israel? So he looks at this, he says, You know, you're not, Goliath, you're not just talking about the army, you're talking about the God of Israel. And I think it might have crossed his mind that Goliath probably had the feeling. That not even Israel's God could defeat such an opponent as himself. When you are 9 foot 9 inches tall, and I would have no idea how much this guy weighed, but it had to be several hundred pounds. 9 foot 9, you know, 10 foot tall almost. You had to be, you're, you're, you're a big guy. But hold on, there's even more than that that meets the eye. David is challenged not only by the words of this Philistine champion. You see, he's got a problem with Goliath, but he's got more than just a problem with Goliath. Do you see in verse 28 Who? He, there's another problem out there? Look, look at the text in verse 28. It says, let me get back there to verse 28. Now Eliab Do you see that? Now Eliab, his oldest brother, David's oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the man, and Eliab's anger burned against David and said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart, for you have come down in order to see the battle. His very own brother Eliab whom the prophet Samuel, by the way, you all should know this, that Samuel, when he goes to the house of Jesse, the father of David, he goes there and and Jesse has seven sons, seven sons. And he he walks into the house where Jesse is at, and God has appointed a son from the house of Jesse to be the future king of Israel. And Samuel was there to anoint him. When Eliab comes forward, Samuel looks at him and he says, Surely, surely this is the man whom God has chosen to be the anointed king over Israel. But in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 6 and 7, look at this, Samuel 16, 6 and 7, when they entered, he looked at a and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at the appearance or at the height of his stature because I have what? I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Eliab, realizing that he lost the anointing to his younger brother, youngest brother David, looks at David and he says to him, why have you come down? It was David who was given the honor to one day become king. It was David that Samuel appointed or anointed. And now it appears that David's brother Eliab, to to David's brother Eliab, that David was not wanting to receive honor on the battlefield. David got the honor at home, and now David is going to get the honor at the battlefield. And so here is Eliab. He says, I've lost out to my brother at home. I'm now going to lose out to my brother on the battlefield. So for the second time, Eliab's honor, and this time as a soldier, uh, would be surpassed, eclipsed by his youngest brother David. You hate being a loser to one of your own siblings. Listen, friends, this is what envy and jealousy does to a person. For Eliab, for Eliab, David's oldest brother it would have been better for Goliath, listen very carefully, it would have been better for Goliath to have the victory over Israel than to have David be the, to have the victory over Goliath. You see what Eliab is after? Eliab wants David out of the way. It would be better for Eliab, for Goliath to defeat him, to defeat Israel rather, than for David to defeat Goliath. In Proverbs 27 and verse 4, listen to what it says. Wrath is fierce and anger is a flood, but who can stand before jealousy? Who can stand before jealousy? David's battle is not just against the giant Goliath. David's battle is against the giant of jealousy. He's got two giants to face now. Not just one, but two. So how do you argue against someone who seems to have the upper hand? How is Eliab going to argue against David? David David is just a natural winner. How does Eliab go against him and defeat him? Whether it be in business or in family matters and issues or in the public forum. Actually the answer is, is quite simple. If you want to beat your opponent, I'm going I'm I'm to give you the clue. It's done a lot. You want to beat your, your opponent? The answer is simple. If you want to try and get the momentum to move in, the direction, in your direction, you do what Eliab did. You belittle and berate your opponent in the presence of other people. It's a lousy way to do it. It's a cheater's way of doing it. It's a dishonorable, unethical way of doing it. But that's what Eliab did. I want to, he wanted to belittle and berate him in front of the whole Israelite army. He says to him in verse 28, he says to David, With whom have you left those few sheep? What does that mean? If you, this is Pat's paraphrase, if you have lost even one sheep, if you, David, if you've lost even one sheep, it would have been a great loss to our family. So if you can't be trusted with this duty, then how could you be trusted to handle such a major responsibility as fighting against this giant? If you can't take care of the small stuff, David, how can you take care of the big stuff? That's what it says. That's what he's talking about. Who have you left these sheep with? Our dad can't afford to lose even one sheep. You've shirked your responsibility. Then Eliab says, I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart. That is, you, dis, you disrespect authority. And you are just here and eager to see bloodshed, aren't you, David? So the whole Israelite army, all those around him get to hear all this. So he belittles and berates him in front of everybody. Perhaps by discrediting David, this would prevent him from becoming Israel's hero. Which in turn would hopefully cause David to become Israel's Zero. Now, let me ask you, do you think that Eliab has a problem? You ever meet anybody like that? You ever met anybody that would berate and belittle somebody in the presence of others? It would never happen in a church, would it? Never happen in a church. Eliab is not mentioned again in Scripture except for a couple of references in, in Chronicles, as in a, in a in, in genealogy. In in First Chronicles, chapter two and verse thirteen, if you want to if you want to turn there, it, it, it would you would do well. I spent you can ask me I spent probably an hour and a half. Just going through all this genealogy. I was going crazy with this genealogy because this is good night. This is kind of like the most sordid genealogy i ever heard of in my life. But in 1 Chronicles chapter 2, there is a list of, of the descendants of Jesse. But if you, if you, and you'll see in verse 213, look at 213. It says, that Jesse became the father of Eliab, his firstborn. And then Abinadab, and this, uh, the second, and Shem, Shemal the third, or Shemaiah the third, And then he goes on the list and it says, and finally David the seventh. But look down to verses 16 and 17. And their sisters were Zeruiah and Abigail. And the three sons of Zeruiah were Abishai, Joab, and Asahel. Who are these people? Do you know? Let me say this Abishai, Joab, and Azahel are three great commanders in David's army. But Joab is the head of the entire army. They are the sons of David's half sister Zeruiah. He is a half sister because the husband of Zeruiah, is not an Israelite, he's an Ishmaelite. And his name is Nashon. So, Joab, the commander of the entire army of David later on, is David, kind of like David's, David is his uncle. But there's another name there. And another one of those relatives is a guy by the name of Amasa. Amasa is also part of that family. And he too, through, through a half sister, is a relative. He's, he's the commander of Absalom's army who is killed in battle. That whole genealogy. Those commanders, those warriors that you read about in in Samuel and Kings and Chronicles, they're all related and interrelated. And it is so messy. I says, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go through this whole thing, but I was going nuts trying to follow all this yesterday. But they're all related. There are the, these, these two names, though, Joab and Amasa, uh, are, are, are the ones you need to remember. And somehow both of them are David's, or David is both of their uncle. So let's get back to David and his brother Eliab. David would not allow himself to be thrown off course by the ranting and raving, raging of his brother. And church, listen to this. When you are at work in God's kingdom, you don't think it's strange. Don't think it's strange if you find yourself at odds both with the real enemy who is Satan. He's the giant that we face. Don't think at all that you're going to be at war with Satan. And yes, even those who you suppose would lend you their aid and support. There are times, there are... Not here, but never here. But there are times when people that would even sit in the pew with you can become your enemy. Doesn't, it, doesn't that affect you a little bit? That you say that we have fellowship together. We have fellowship together. We, we walk together in the house of God. Do you remember what David says about Ahithophel? Remember when Ahithophel was David's counselor, and and Ahithophel, rather than following David, now has turned his back on David and follows Absalom. And David writes, he says, says, you know, if my enemy were this person or that person, it would be okay, but my enemy is a friend. My enemy is the one I walked into the fellowship with to worship God together. We walked into the house of God together, and we worshiped together. Think it not strange, my friends, that sometimes, God forbid it should ever happen in this church, but sometimes even a church person can become your enemy. Sometimes even a brother like Eliab can become your enemy. But listen, stay, you, you stay self-controlled, stay alert. Stay focused and above all, above all. No matter who says what about you, stay humble. Don't use the same tactics that people might use on you. Stay humble. That is the Lord's battle. You stay humble, stay self-controlled, stay alert, stay focused. Keep in mind these words from Psalm 3, 1 through 3. Listen, it says, O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. But you, O Lord, listen, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. Your focus needs to be on God. Not what other people may be saying. Your focus needs to stay on God. Your focus needs to stay on God. Let's now move on to verses 31 and 32. Saul gets word of David's willingness to go up against the, Phil- the Philistine giant. And so he sends for him. And, and notice in verse 32 where David says to Saul, Let no man's heart fail on account of him. So here we have a shepherd of sheep willing to undertake the disposal of a giant who's many times his size, many times has many, has many, much more time and experience in warfare. And here we have a king being encouraged by a shepherd. And do you recall these words from 1 Corinthians? Listen, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29. You see, when when we when we are faced when we are faced with a situation and we feel that we are small when we feel that we are insignificant when we feel that we don't have the wherewithal when we feel that that this this is too great this is too great a task for us that we're just grasshoppers in the side of whatever giant we're facing. Remember these words from 1 Corinthians chapter one, beginning at verse twenty-six. It says, "For consider your calling, brethren." You see, no matter how small you think you are compared to whatever giant you're having to face, listen, that God, God chooses, God calls, God elects the person to be his servant even though you think that you may be insignificant, that there's nothing extraordinary about you. Listen, God doesn't use the extraordinary, God uses the ordinary to accomplish the things that he wants. It is not your ability as much as it is your availability that God is looking for. It is, it is not your stature. It is not your intelligence. It is not your education. It is not your, your wealth. It is not your health that God is looking at. God is looking at your heart. God's looking at you in a matter of how's your character? Then we have Saul giving his opinion of David's desire to fight the Philistine in verse 33. He says, David, you're just a kid. That's what he says. David, you're just a kid. But then look at David's response in verses 34 and 35. David in verses 34 and 35 gives a reason for the hope that is in him. David's response to Saul is based upon his faith. He says, "Saul, so I know I can do this. I have faith that I can do this. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. He says, Peter says, give an account of the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. The hope that you have in you is the very character that God has put in you. The faith that God has given you, the faith that God has given you, exercise that faith. Listen, that faith, if it can move, if it can move mountains, it can move a giant too. In my own paraphrased thought, David says, O King Saul, listen, I have fought against lions and bears. And he's not talking about football teams either. I fought against lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine is nothing more than a ravenous wolf seeking to destroy the church of the living God. Another opinion of Saul is given in verse 38. So let's look at verse 38. And Saul says, then Saul clothed David with his garments and put a bronze helmet on his head, and he clothed him with his armor. So here Paul supposes that he can protect David by having him wear his armor for battle. And again, church, listen to this. Our armor is not like Saul's. It's not of the flesh. It's not subject to erosive elements of this world. 2 Corinthians ten thirty four. Paul tells the church, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for our weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Saul thought it would be needed for David to dress for battle, but David thought it would be best to go with what he was accustomed to and what he had already tested. He tried to wear Saul's armor. He tried to handle Saul's sword. He tried to maneuver in a skillful way, but came to the conclusion, listen, he came to the conclusion, I can't be who I am, and I can't do what I do when I'm pretending to be someone I'm not. Don't pretend to be someone you're not. God made you just the way you are. You are who God made you to be. You are created in the image of God to be the person that God created you to be. That's it. In the words of the great theologian Popeye, I am what I am, that's all that I am. You are who God made you to be. That's who you are. He came to the realization that he wasn't Saul's size. He didn't have Saul's experience because he wasn't Saul. Friends, do you get the idea? Be who God made you to be. Use the skills, use the skills that God has gifted you with. Every one of you has a skill. Every one of you has a grace gift from God. Every one of you. God has put in the church everything that is necessary in that church for the church to be the church that God wants. We are, sometimes we get so so interested in trying to multiply the number of people on here. Well, what we need to multiply is, a, is, a, is our faith toward God. God calls us, to, listen, I'm looking for disciples, not a mass of numbers. I'm looking for disciples. We're interested in numerical significance. We are, we are, Testing our minds, and and our minds are getting fried in, in denominations, trying to see if we can get more people, more people coming. Folks, what God wants is disciples. In verse 40, in verse 40 of our text, we read, He took, I love this, He took His stick in His hand and chose for Himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had, even in his pouch. And his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Let me ask you this question. You know, these are the things that David says, I've tested. i tested. Know, I know these things work. You know, he's probably looking at Goliath. He says, Goliath, I'm going to beat you ugly with this stick I have in my hand. He, know, he knew what would work. Let me ask you, what works for you? You and I may not be able to use someone else's armor and sword, nor may we be able to use David's staff, sling, and stones. But listen, God has given you the giftedness and the ability to do and to be all that He's purposed for you to do and to be. In 1 Corinthians 3, 6, Paul writes, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. Understand this. All all of us, all of us may not be good at planting. You know, all of us are not spiritual farmers. We're just not. Some of us may be very lousy at it. We're just not good planters. We may not all be great at personal evangelization, but perhaps... We are really great in teaching, or in discipling, or we may be super at helping those who are in need. You see, God puts within the church people who are gifted to do different things, so that church coming together completes everything that is necessary for that church to be what God wants it to be. It's not just curring the favor of people in the community to get numbers in here, but it's the church acting like the church let God take care of the numerical significance of the church. You take care of the matter of discipling God's people, of tending to God's sheep. If we do a great job of tending and shepherding the sheep, then God will do what? Maybe He'll send us more sheep. Jesus Peter. Peter feed my sheep tend to my sheep tend to my lambs Jesus in John chapter 6 when he's speaking to over 5,000 men probably as many as 15 to 20,000 people all together counting women and children when they all left he he didn't go to his disciples and say look let's follow these people up let's find out why they're not coming anymore he says, guys, are you going to leave too? It's not the numerical significance that makes the church. It's the heart of the person in their attitude toward God and the wanting to be followers of God. You put your trust and your faith in God. Your hope is in God. So when you face the giants, whatever giants you're going to face, when you face those things, that you're looking at God. You're not looking at numerical significance. You're not looking at the size of the army You're looking at the character that you have within your own heart and you see that giant and you know that the character that you have in your heart was put there because of who God is. You can stand against your giant. Know what you do best in the matter of service to God. All of us do not have the same gifts. We just don't. But whatever one you have, use it to the best of your ability in the service to God. Don't try to be someone or something else. In 12, 6 of Romans, Paul writes, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace gift given us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. And the last thing I want to say, David had a willingness to take what was in his hands David had a willingness to take that which was in his hands and put them in the hands of God. This is nothing more or nothing less than David being obedient to the call and the will of God. David was being obedient. He says, Lord, this, this is what you, you've gifted me with knowing how to use this staff. You've gifted me with knowing how to use a sling. That's what I do. God you made me to be a shepherd and I've protected my sheep and I've protected them against any enemy that came against me and against them. David was obedient to the will and the call of God in his life. I'm going to ask you this question. What is God calling you to be obedient to today? What is he put in your hands? What is he put in your hands that you're willing to put into the hands of God? And say, Lord, you led me here. I believe I'm here because you wanted me here. Lord, maybe today is the day that I need to, to come and be part of this church. I don't know that. I, I don't know. God, God didn't put an X on your head and tell me if this is the person. Maybe there's someone here that needs to be part of this church. Maybe there's someone here today. You know what's most important? The most important thing, not just being a member of this church. Most important is maybe you're here today and you need, you need to be a member of God's kingdom. That you need to come to faith in Jesus Christ and put your trust in Jesus Christ to save you. Listen, it is Jesus Christ who came, lived a perfect sinless life. Jesus, who is God, he, he, he came from heaven's throne, lived a sinless, perfect life. He died on a cross bearing your sin and bearing His Father's wrath. He died, He was buried, and He rose again on the third day. He ascended into glory, and folks, Jesus Christ is coming back. Have you put your trust in Him? Have you put your trust in Him? You want to build up character? Listen, it begins by you putting your trust in Jesus Christ. Character comes, first of all, by knowing who Jesus Christ is. If God is speaking to your heart today, and you say, you know, pastor, I know I'm a sinner. Listen, if you repent of your sins, if you repent of your sins and put your trust in Jesus Christ, what will God do? He will save you. We call upon the name of the Lord, and you shall be saved, right? It's not, it's, it, it, it isn't doing a bunch of, uh, of, of, uh, of acrobatic feats. Or doing some magic trick or, or giving money to the church or anything. No, 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 no. It's saying, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I repent of my sin. Save me from my sin. I put my trust in you today.